Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Brian Candelo. Good morning, church. Good to see you here this morning. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and it's my privilege to welcome you to Family Gathers Month here at Salem Alliance, and we're talking about disgust. Now, in the movie, the face of disgust looks like this. This is disgust. Uh, But since you guys didn't get to participate in this game, and because I want to contextualize what we're talking about and give you that kind of reaction within your stomach, for today, this is going to be the face of disgust. (laughs) It's going to allow you to experience what everyone else has experienced on stage here. Here's what disgust means. We'll we'll take that picture down. A feeling of revulsion or profound disapproval aroused by something unpleasant or offensive. This is a strong feeling. This is profound disapproval. It's beyond frustration. It's not just, oh, I sneezed while holding a hot drink, or my cell phone battery died, or my socks keep slipping into my shoes, or kids, when you squeeze the juice box too hard and it all squirts out the straw, that's frustration. That's just, oh, and you roll your eyes and you get on with it. Disgust is when something rises up in you. Disgust is like, it can happen with food. It's usually associated with food. When you eat something and your body shudders, you know, that's that kind of disgust. When, when you get so amped up at a sports game and then your favorite team loses, but your body has reacted to that, that's that kind of disgust. Maybe you feel that when you have a political discussion. Something rises up in you. My wife reminded me this past week of when my oldest daughter was small. She was sick in bed one night and she was just laying there and she kind of cried out to us and I went into her room and kind of laid down next to her to comfort her and she's in there just <laughs> and trying to fall asleep and crying and all snuffly. And, and so eventually I kind of nod off and then I hear, Dad? And I'm like, yes? Can you hold this? And I don't know what this is and my eyes are closed so I just put my hand over like this and then all of a sudden she just presses something in the palm of my hand. And I know it's bad. I know it just doesn't feel right. And I don't even want to look at it. So I go, oh, what is that? And she goes, it's a sticky booger. <laughs> and I'm like, mm, 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 mm. I'll be leaving you now. That's, that's <laughs> disgust as it rises up in you. It's that, it says profound disapproval. And profound means weighty and deep and intense and insightful. We need to think about the things that disgust us. Now, here's the thing with disgust. Disgust is typically about avoidance and self-preservation. It moves us away from certain situations and certain people and makes ourselves the number one priority. And in some circumstances, that's okay. In some circumstances, it doesn't matter. If people are putting broccoli on pizza, it's okay to step away. That's fine. But really... Disgust should move us towards certain situations and certain people and make others our number one priority. And we need to think about disgust in that way. We need to think about the things that disgust us and how that gives us insight. And we need to think about disgust in a way that's going to move us towards rather than away. That will move us into situations that make us feel comfortable so that we can bring relief to those situations. And that's what we're going to talk about here this morning for just a few minutes. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. You want to grab one from the pew there, page 863. We're going to read a familiar story 
And in this story, you'll find disgust moving people away and disgust moving one person towards. You'll also find in this story that the bad guys are pastors and a lawyer. For what it's worth, you know, I mean, come on. Now, before we get to the story, we have to understand the question that leads to the story. So Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25. One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, how does the law of Moses say? What does it say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. You see, it seems that some people were suspicious that Jesus had a very low opinion of the law. And they were suspicious of this because he always hung out with people who were breaking the law. Jesus was always hanging out with lawbreakers, and so the religious people of the day, the ones who cared very much about the law, thought, oh, he must not even care. So this lawyer, this expert in the law, not civil law, but expert in religious law, comes to Jesus to ask him this question. And he's trying to trap Jesus. Now, how does it work when people try and trap Jesus? It doesn't. You're not going to do it. And you're going to see that at the end of this story. But he's trying to trap Jesus and he's trying to say, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's, he's trying to, what he's trying to do is say, Jesus, you're hanging out with all of these lawbreakers, but they're not going to make it. Why do you love all these people? Why are you hanging out with these people? He's trying to draw a really tight circle around himself. Jesus says, well, what, what does the law say? Now, he could either read it all or summarize it. He summarized it like probably most of you would in this room by going to Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19, right? That's what you do. You go there and you find it says, love God with everything you are and everything that you have and love your neighbor as yourself. Meet the needs of your neighbor the same way you'd meet your own needs. Jesus says, you're exactly right. You see, this guy was hung up though. He was hung up on the law. And he, he thought that the law was the way to life. Now, the law is a way of life, but the law is not the way to life. But that's what this lawyer thought. That's what this expert thought. Now, this wasn't going the way that he wanted it to go, so it says he tried to justify himself, and he said, who is my neighbor? Because there was an argument back then that not everybody was your neighbor. Even the people that you were geographically next to could be non-neighbors. There were certain people that were never your neighbor. And so again, he's trying to narrow the field. He's trying to just shrink down who it is that he should be loving. And, and when he asks this question, Jesus then tells this story. He says, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho, 17 miles long, was known then as a very dangerous road. Now, it's not like a four-lane highway. Here's a picture of, of some of what it looked like. You know, it's kind of a path, and there's some blind corners, and there were some caves along this road, and it would have led to this tension. And I don't know where it is that you've walked in your life that has scared you. And kids, maybe it's at night when you have to get out of bed and walk through the dark house, and you're just like, oh. I was thinking as I was reading this story, I took a group of students to East Harlem in New York City for a missions trip, and one night I was walking with some guys it's like 10.30 at night and we were walking through this really rough neighborhood and we were all walking as fast as we could in like a line and it was just, I was just terrified something was gonna happen. 
And people started actually calling out to us and yelling at us, and we just kept walking faster and faster, and this tension was just building, and I just, I just have to get through, I just have to get through, just keep going. That's this kind of feeling. That's what this road would have evoked. People who walked this road would have understood the danger. So this guy's walking, and, and he, gets, he gets beaten up and left for dead. Now, the first guy to pass, it says, was a priest. And the priest came along, and he saw the man lying there. Now, this was a priest. He was, he was in charge at the temple. The priest worked rotations at the temple. What they would do is they would go to Jerusalem. They would work like a two-week shift, and then they'd go home. And most often, they'd go home to Jericho. It was a priestly city. So they would have walked this road back and forth. And, uh, but he was a professional Christian, right? It's his job to stop at moments like this. But when the priest walks along, it says he crosses to the other side of the road and passes him by. Somewhere along the line, disgust kicked in, and self-preservation led to him walking away from and not towards. Now, we don't know his story. You know, maybe he had worked a tough shift. Maybe he'd spent a lot of time there, and it was hard, and he was on his way home, and he just wanted to be home. And he knows that it says in the law that if you touch a dead body, that you're ceremonially unclean, and the process to become clean takes seven days, and he'd probably have to go back to the temple. It would be time-consuming, and it would be costly, and besides, I'm a priest, not a paramedic. What am I even going to do? And so disgust pushes him away. Now, the next guy to come along is another church worker. It says a temple assistant. And the temple assistant is a little more interested in the story. And it says he walked over and he looked at the man. So here's another church worker. And the and temple assistant, sometimes called Levites, they were in charge of kind of the upkeep of the temple. And he walks over and he looks at this man lying there. And then he crosses over and walks away. And we don't know what was going through his head either. You know, maybe he was thinking, this is scary, this is dangerous, maybe the robbers were here, maybe this is a setup, maybe my life's in danger. And so he goes around, and his disgust pushes him away and not towards. Now, I don't know that these were necessarily bad guys. Maybe they were just burnt out. Maybe they were tired. Maybe they just wanted to get home. Maybe they were so busy doing God's work at church that they didn't have any time to do God's work in the real world. But I get it. I get their excuse. Because we make excuses too, don't we? Because far too often we see a situation like this, similar to this, and our disgust, our self-preservation kicks in and it pushes us away from the situation. And we have all kinds of excuses. Like, maybe their needs will be greater than my resources. Maybe if I step in to help, I don't have the finances to do that. I don't have the time to do that. Or I don't even know where to begin to how to help a situation like that. And kids, maybe you think, well, that's the grown-up's job. But let me let you in on a little secret. The grown-ups think, oh, that's the government's job. Somebody else will do it, right? That's our excuse. Well, somebody that's coming along behind me and they'll take care of this. Or we're afraid that it's going to be dangerous to us. It's scary. The Bible says perfect love casts out fear. But perfect fear casts out love, doesn't it? Perfect fear keeps us from loving. And our disgust so often kicks in and pushes us away from situations that we should be walking towards. Now, as Jesus is telling this story, he's given two examples. Two examples of people that should have stopped and done something and didn't. 
Now the listeners are knowing that, okay, the third one's coming. The third one's going to be a regular guy. It's going to be a guy like us, and he's going to step up, and he's going to help. But this is where Jesus pulls his, his kung fu storytelling out and flips the script on this lawyer and everybody listening because he says, then a despised Samaritan comes along. The Samaritans. And this is where the disgust in the lawyer would have risen to the surface because the Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans weren't pure. They didn't make good decisions. There's a Jewish historian that says Samaritans broke into the temple and they scattered bones in the temple. Horrible. And they said that Jerusalem wasn't the one true place of worship. So there was a season of time in which at the service at the temple, they would publicly curse Samaritans. And they would ask them not to be included in eternal life. Can you imagine hating a group of people that bad? Can you imagine if Salem Alliance had that as a part of our regular routine? You had to do fellowship time, all right, sit down. Okay, now we're gonna pray that this people group doesn't get included in eternity. Stand up with me if you would. Wouldn't you go somewhere else? Right? They did not like Samaritans. As a matter of fact, in John chapter eight, when they were so angry at Jesus and could think of nothing else to say, they said, you're a Samaritan. And I was trying to think of what that modern day equivalent would be. Like if I said, you know, there was a pastor and an elder and a New England Patriot fan, right? I mean, that would be like, oh man, not them. Or if we said like a doctor and a nurse and then Kylo Ren, You're like, Kylo Ren's not going to step up to help. He's going to kill somebody with a lightsaber. That's not what he does. But Jesus said a Samaritan, and look what the Samaritan did. The despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. His disgust did not take him around. Jews hated Samaritans. Samaritans hated Jews. But his disgust wasn't about himself. It wasn't about self-preservation. It didn't push him away. It pushed him towards. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. The Samaritan stepped up. He stepped closer. It was dangerous. It was costly. It was sacrificial. But he stepped up and he met all of these super practical needs, physical and emotional and transportation and housing and food and all of these things. And and that's the difference, right? That's the difference in the story that Jesus is trying to get at. He's saying the people that you think should stop didn't stop. Disgust led them away from. But the person that you would say there's no way they're stopping, something rose up in him disgust and then it led to compassion and he stepped in and ministered in that situation and so Jesus then turns to the lawyer and he said which one's the neighbor and the lawyer couldn't even say the word Samaritan he just says the one who showed mercy and you could probably envision him saying it through clenched teeth and Jesus says go and do likewise You see, instead of our disgust being about self-preservation and our own rights, it should be about the rights of others. Instead of disgust moving us away from people, it should be moving us towards people. Disgust is insightful and we need to think about it. And we really need to think about what things should disgust us, what things should make our stomachs hurt. Things like injustice, the poor, the oppressed, when the weak get trampled, when people don't have access to the gospel, that's a justice issue. 
Lonely people, harassed people, racism, cycle of poverty, maybe our own inactivity. I was trying to think of the most disgusting place that I've ever been to. And about a year ago, I had the opportunity to take a group of students to Peru. And one day in the afternoon, we went out to the very edge of the city to the city dump. And we were going to spend the afternoon working with people who worked in that dump. And here's a picture of it here. And those aren't birds. Those are flies. Just so many flies and the smell and the smoke. And it was hard to breathe. And you were sinking in this trash as you walked through. And it was really the most disgusting place that I've ever been. And I kept thinking to myself, you know, I know this is my job, but how long are we here? Until we started meeting the people and shaking hands and praying for people and passing out gloves and, and oranges and all these kind of things. And then we had the opportunity to go across the street from this place. And there's a community center that they built there that works with the children whose parents spend all day in the dump. And we met these beautiful children. And this switch happened. And all of the students that had walked in there and were disgusted with this place to the way that they wanted to avoid it, truly became disgusted with the fact that that's injustice. Became disgusted with the fact that there's people who have to live in that all of the time. And disgust rose up and began to draw us towards, not away. And we need to think about that with our disgust. How can our disgust draw us towards certain people? How can our disgust draw us towards certain situations to bring relief and health and hope I want to give you three quick things, three quick candles that we can grab onto. Um, and the first is this. I think we need to identify our neighbors. We need to understand that there's a lot of people out there that we would think are non-neighbors that really are our neighbors. And we need to think about who they are, that, that people group, that, that family, that person. Don't point any fingers in this room. But the ones that you're like, oh, they annoy me. Those arrogant, ignorant, I can't even say the words because we're in church, those people. Those are our neighbors. Those are the people that we need to start leaning into. And if you're sitting there thinking, oh, not that, not that person, that's the what? Those are the people. I mean, aren't you thankful that, that God didn't say, oh, well, I'm going to come down and I'm going to help the deserving people. I'm going to help the people making good choices. I'm going to help the people on the straight path. He came down to help all of us. And maybe that person or group of people that you're thinking about have made really bad decisions. And, and if, boy, if I lean into those people, then that means they might think I'm condoning their actions. No. Your compassion does not mean you're condoning their actions. Your compassion is showing the love of God to them. And so identify who that group is and pray that God would give you an opportunity to show compassion. Who is that group? Who is that person that I can lean into? And then that should lead to being proactive. We need to be proactive and not just reactive. Too often we just sit back and say, well, you know, if a situation comes, maybe I'll help. But I think we need to step up and we need to start leaning in. And it's more than just thinking about these people. It's actually doing something. It's more than just being in the neighborhood. The priest and the Levite were in the neighborhood, but they weren't neighbors. You see, our love for other people, those greatest commandments that Jesus gave us, our love for other people needs to be expressed in action, not just sentiment. 
When Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, it wasn't a metaphor for something else. What he was saying was, meet the needs of your neighbor with the same speed, with the same force, with the same energy, with the same enthusiasm as you would meet your own needs. And so begin to pray, okay, that's the group of people that I should be leaning into. God, give me an action step. What's one thing that I can do to bless them? I don't want my disgust to constantly be taking me away from people, to constantly be taking me away from situations where I feel like I just need to be safe. I need to be over here. I need to be safe. We need to lean into those things. And the last thing I would say is this. We need to be creative when we're doing it. I think we need to let our disgust drive us to creative solutions. And I really felt like Holy Spirit was tapping me on the shoulder as I was prepping this message. And he was saying this to me, the next great idea is in the room. And I really believe that. The next great idea to alleviate some type of injustice is in the room. It's in here this morning somewhere. One of you has it. Maybe more than one of you. You have talent and ability and connections and creativity and resources and parents. I would say, unleash your children to see what's wrong with the world. It's okay to have a little disgust at situations because sometimes out of sight, out of mind. This is what's wrong with the world. How can we help fix it? Our disgust could lead us towards a big solution. And so let's be creative about that. Let me inspire you with just a few quick things. See this picture here? These are called shoes that grow. A lot of great organizations go around the world and give shoes to kids and then they grow out of them in six months or eight months just like your own kids do. But these are shoes that last. They grow up to five sizes with all those snaps. You can keep unfolding them and they grow with the kid and the kid can use the same pair of shoes for years. It's a brilliant idea. Look at this next picture. This is called the hippo water roller. Such a simple solution. It's like, oh, you have one of those tubs? That looks heavy. Why don't we just flip it on the side and push it? You know, it seems like so simple. But if you tried to carry that full of water, it'd be 200 pounds. If you pushed it on the ground, it'd be 20. So these kids can, five times they can do the amount of water than they normally can carry. And so they have to go to the well once a day instead of five times a day. It's brilliant. This one here, it's called a life straw. That water's disgusting. There's a good picture for you. And yet when they use this life straw, it filters out contaminants in the water for up to 1,000 gallons And these kids can drink water like that and be safe and healthy. It's amazing. How about this next one? This is great. This is called the Lucky Iron Fish. Somebody was touring the developing world and discovered that uh, anemia was, was rampant in certain areas. And these kids needed iron in their diet. So it's just this fish that you throw in three times a week to something that you're cooking. And these kids get enough iron. The families get enough iron. And anemia is going away. And it's good for up to five years. It's like $30. That's brilliant. This last one here. We'll do two more. This is called the juice or the pulse, excuse me. The pulse jump rope. And the more that you jump rope with it, the more you play, the more energy stored up in the handles that you can use to power things in your house. Like this last one here. This is my favorite. This is called the socket. It doesn't usually have the light sticking out of it. It's just a regular soccer ball, but it has a lithium battery inside. 30 minutes of play, 30 minutes of playing soccer will light an LED light for over three hours. You play soccer, you take it home, you plug it in, you can see at night to do your homework, to do things that otherwise you couldn't do in the dark. 
These are brilliant ideas. The next great idea, I think, though, is in the room. You see, the people that make the world a better place are the people that walk towards these situations, not away from them. The people that care about the rights of others over their own rights. And that's what God wants us to do. So may we be a people whose disgust rises up, healthy disgust rising up in us as a church that moves us towards situations and people in creative ways to help bring kind, compassionate, practical solutions to these issues. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thanks for this story in your word. And I just ask for forgiveness. I ask that you would forgive us for when we walk away and not towards. Forgive us for when we walk around situations and don't address them. Forgive us for when our disgust is all about us being better and our own rights and not the rights of others. Jesus, may we be a people who have courage. May we be a people who walk towards to share your grace and truth, to share words of hope and healing, to do deeds of kindness and compassion, to bring fame to your name. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon. And we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.